This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks that governments are now classifying them as terrorism. And it's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. What are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next victim? Barracuda MSP is here to help you ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attacks. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plan. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. Thanks to Barracuda MSP for helping bring you TubTalk. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Now, during this season, we're speaking to some of the most remarkable women in technology, and today's guest really fits that description. Vera Tuki is an IT entrepreneur and co-founder of T-Consulting, a company that provides IT services specialized in security and business continuity. Vera is also a TEDx speaker. More on that later. She has a background as a guest lecturer in public and private colleges in the U.S., and she served on the advisory board of one of the world's top cybersecurity companies. For me, Vera is an amazing communicator of ideas, as you will hear during our conversation. Vera, welcome to Subtalk. Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the warm introduction. Really excited to be here today. My pleasure. Where are you joining us from today? Where do you call home at the moment? Right now, home is Italy, which is my homeland and uh, a place that I haven't left in a year and a half uh, since the situation outside. Um, more specifically, our company is based in Forli, which is a small town northeast of the country. A uh, nice place to live and a very exciting technology uh, region for a company like ours. Yeah, we were speaking just before we hit the record button about the fact that uh, you and I are used to doing traveling. We haven't done very much yeah. traveling lately at all because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but it'll be good to get out there and start meeting people again soon, won't it? Exactly, exactly. can wait for that. Yeah. Now, for anyone who is unfamiliar with your work, can you give us a short overview of your background? Of course. Um, I... I am the co-founder and now COO of T Consulting, which is an, an MSP. Uh, but I like uh, underlining the fact that when I started this company in 2007, I didn't have a technical background. Um, I can say um, that when I was a teenager, I was the, the least technological person in my inner circle. There are Lots of embarrassing stories about me yelling at printers for not working. Um, I was the classical user that now technicians get angry with because I wasn't getting along with the tool. I wasn't understanding it. So I thought that I would never have a career related to technology. But as sometimes happens, life has its own way to present you with opportunities. So I graduated in political science. I was ready for a career as a public servant, uh, being a social worker. I was ready to have a government job. 
But I met a person that shared an idea. He shared a vision. He shared a dream. And he asked me to get on board and start a company. I always had this desire for creating something that I could call mine, something that I could contribute, uh, developing um, a place of work where people could go and be happy and create better lives for themselves. Um, and so even though I didn't have that technological side, I had the entrepreneurial spirit. And I said, yes, I jumped on board. We co-founded the company. And from there, I built, as I went into this experience, all the skills that I needed. And now, 14 years later, I can say that uh, I am exactly where I was supposed to be. <laughs> That's a wonderful, wonderful story. Let's talk about tea consulting. So you co-founded the business in 2007. How would you describe what it is you do? What we do is plain and simple. We are an MSP and a Comet company. We were born with that idea, even though back at the time there wasn't an MSP culture here in Italy. Uh, we used that approach since the beginning. My co-founder, a business partner and husband, because we are a couple-run um, company, had this intuition of creating a business where the clients could be taken care of with tools that allowed automation, that he could charge for a monthly fee per workstation or per server, but it was just an intuition. He didn't know that there was a specific definition for that kind of approach. Um, so in, in the first years, we started traveling. We went to the U.S. We went to the first um, conventions, for example, the Caseya uh, Convention in Las Vegas. And we realized, hey, wait a minute. This is what we do. So there's a name for it. There's a community for it. There are specific tools, um, but that was our uh, our intuition since day one. And we were helping small and medium businesses creating a more structured IT for their companies, uh, giving them the tools, giving them the hours, giving them the tech support. Uh, but we were mainly focusing on companies that didn't have internal IT departments because that was the main situation that you could find at least in our region 10 or so years ago. In the recent years, we um, shifted our focus or it's, it would be better to say that we have two main targets right now uh, for clients. One is still the small business the small and medium business that doesn't have internal IT, so we provide for full support. But we have more and more companies that have an internal department for information technology, so we are supporting them into creating a stronger, safer IT department and an overall wider security net around the company. So, again, we were having that Intuition. We had that intuition and we were using that approach. And a few years ago, we realized that there's a name for it as well. Somebody put a name on this approach. It's Comet, co-managed IT. Um, and we 
kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we are on the right track. <laughs> we are doing things the way that um, is better for the clients and for, for the industry. So this is what we do. We focus on um, managing, making business more secure, um, business continuity, allowing a client to grow without having to be concerned about everything that is related to their network or the their data or their process being preserved. Yeah, that's fascinating that you came to the concept of managed services by intuition rather than, yeah. you know, I it, it was it was very similar for me in uh, about 2005. So around the same sort of time as you, uh, I, I realized there was a better way of doing things, but didn't know about managed services uh, at all. And then uh, traveled to the US, I had my eyes open to it. So it sounds as though we've traveled similar paths. I'm really intrigued as well. Uh, the co-managed IT, we used to call it downstream IT uh, mm-hmm. back when, uh, in the day. I've really seen that uh, grow in popularity uh, as a result of the pandemic. So I've seen lots of internal IT teams who really saw managed service providers as the enemy uh, because they didn't want to work with them because they thought they were going to take their jobs away and so never engage with MSPs. And I think as a result of the pandemic, there's lots of IT departments who haven't got the skills internally, haven't got the resources, the knowledge, everything else that MSPs have. And so MSPs have become their friends now and yeah. started working. How, in what sort of timescale was co-managed IT com- become a focus for you? Is it as a result of the pandemic or before then? It was even before then. Mm. Um, thinking back, I think that we started serving more IT departments around 2013-14. Wow. Um, I believe it was a, a natural development for the digitalization, <laughs> digitalizing the uh, all the industries outside of IT, uh, more companies were realizing that they needed information technology to survive and to be stronger after the um, economical crisis of the five years before. So they were making more investments and they uh, wanted somebody in-house that could manage basic issues or the ERP uh, tools, they, they wanted somebody inside of their companies to manage the company's tools, the company's issue. So we were finding more situation where that IT manager had already a desk full of tasks to be completed every single day. So we could actually provide for that additional support because they had so much going on that they couldn't. Absolutely, it was unthinkable for them to think about security, to provide for updates, and not to have the tools and the knowledge that the MSP already has, because I think this is the key difference in between MSP and Comet. Yes, MSP usually works as an externalized IT department, and the Comet doesn't, but also Comet means sharing with the client procedures, policies, tools, knowledge, experience, all the things that you have as an MSP, you put them at the benefit of the IT internal department and, and you put at their service what you know. So what we had as an experience as an MSP was 
crucial for the IT managers because they could benefit from um, a toolbox that was already set, already tested, already ready uh, for them to use without having to waste time being trained or scouting for products. So I think in that moment, in the afterwave of the 2008 crisis, companies needed fast responses, a first a good reaction to the growth that uh, they came after the crisis. So they relied on the MSP to have a ready-to-go solution. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And for anybody listening to this, Comet co-managed IT, if you've dismissed it before, Vera is a very smart lady. Listen to what she's saying here, because there is lots of opportunity in this field. Vera, I want to pick up on something you said earlier, and that is to do with your background. You know, you got into this industry uh, through your partner, through your husband, uh, working. What is it like working in a managed service provider business with your husband? It, what, you know, what's, uh, what's the good side to that? And what are the more challenging aspects to it? Well, uh, we need to give the, the, the listeners a little uh, backstory. We were not married when we started. We, we just, we just met. Basically, we founded our company, uh, less than a year after we, we met. And the, the main reason why I decided to jump on board of this adventure is because he's a visionary. He's a person, he's extremely business smart tech smart. So he sees the world in a way that other people can't. He can actually foresee the development of our industry. So it was a very um, charismatic leader to to follow because that's the, the, the kind of um, input that he has on the industry. So that was my main reason. But when I started, and and I'm sure that this was a self-imposed limit, like um, a belief that I had within myself <clears throat> that being the the wife, the fiancé, whatever I was at the time, and not being a tech person was actually something that I should hide from our clients. I, should, um, I shouldn't go public with because it wasn't good for the business. And I... I, I was really strong about it. I was feeling really strong about it. So for the first years of our work life, we didn't share with people that we were actually a couple. There are lots of stories about people that we knew back then and still know nowadays. And they always reminisce about those first conventions where we were acting like colleagues, not, not a couple. <laughs> Because I really felt that it wasn't something that I that I that I shouldn't put on my clients, right? I wanted to be really um, private about. What made you feel that way, Vera? Forgive the interruption, but what Absolutely. what made you feel as though clients wouldn't accept like a husband and wife team as um, and, and one person not being so technical? I think uh, that it was. Um, something that maybe the female audience would be more aware of. It was the familiar imposter syndrome. The, the fact that I was afraid that clients would see me as a person that was put in a position 
just because of the private relationship with the co-founder and not for my skills or for my vision or for my um, the, the quality of the work that I could put into the company. Um, so, but nobody ever said anything like this to me, ever. They always treated me with respect. They always listened to what I had to say. It was something that was coming from within. It was um, a limit that I, that I put on myself without having any evidence that that was the actual case. The more I built my confidence, the more I built my position within the company, the more, um, the more confident I felt in this new role, the less I cared about this. So it was the natural development of um, this is something that we don't have to hide. We don't want to go public with it because we're not famous people that need to go public with their relationship. But uh, if people ask, we're going to be honest about it. Um, but it was something that came natural because I had this um, wrong belief that it wouldn't be beneficial for the company. This arrangement, the working together and the being a couple in our experience, I don't want to speak for anybody else. I'm just going to speak for my personal experience. It's, it's great. It's life-saving. It's um, less stressful than being an entrepreneur and being married to somebody that is not because work for us is such an important part of our lives. And the fact that we can share it means that we understand each other. We understand the bad days. We understand the stressful times and we share it and we can talk about it. And the other person is going to be on the same page. So I can honestly say there's no downside, but there's no downside because when we are at work, we are working. We really put an effort into speaking to each other as colleagues, into maintaining that professional uh, relationship, the professional conversation. Um, it's something that we really care about. We, we don't want to have those two part of our lives uh, colliding on each other. But on the personal side, is such a relief to share this adventure with somebody that has the same goal and is working towards the same goal that you are. That's amazing. What's your husband's name, by the way? Matteo. Matteo. Pass our thanks to Matteo for encouraging <laughs> you into this industry, because I think I am not alone in saying I will. So many people are going to find what you've just said so inspiring. I know so many couples who work in the industry and especially so many uh, women in technology who feel the same way that you talked about, because they are not highly technical let's be honest here because they're not nerdy and geeky mm -hmm. but they feel as though they need to 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 hide that fact somewhat and you've absolutely proven that is not the case so thank you so much for for, for sharing that of course. I think other people will find it inspiring i mentioned earlier on that you're an entrepreneur in addition to tea consulting um you also run a business called global dash as well don't you what does global dash do uh, yes, Global Dash is uh, a side business from T Consulting. It was actually it was born within T Consulting as an internal product that later we put on the market for the benefit of other MSPs. 
Basically, we were brainstorming two years ago on how could we be more efficient and what were the tasks that were depleting our, our time um, and that were creating frustration within the different areas of the tax department. So the, the knock, the, the first line of assistance, uh, shared their main frustration, which was having to check dozens of dashboard every single day, uh, looking for alerts, having to go through uh, dozens of emails every single day to look for the next main task that they needed to address. They wanted something that was more proactive. Um, so they asked us for uh, an amount an hour of hours to work on this idea. And they said, we have an idea. Can we use some of our time to develop it? Okay, sure, go ahead. Um, if you can come up with a solution, it's going to be time well spent. So after a few months, they came back with this dashboard that now is called Global Dash, which is a platform that aggregates all the alerts that come from all the tools that we use as an MSP. And it puts together the alerts uh, by severity or by client or by um, the uh, occurrency of a specific alert. And it shows everything in one place. And every technician can have their own personalized view of Global Dash, whether they are accounted to a specific client, they can see all the alerts for that specific client. Rather, we have a, a group of people that have their activities based on the technology that they are specialized in. So they can see the alert for that specific technology. Um, and in this way, it's the tool that says, hey, this is the next thing that you should address because it's an emergency rather than it's urgent or you have this client that has a more um, urgent service level agreement, so you need to address that task first. It's the technology that works for us rather than running after all messages and alerts. We used this product internally for six months, and at the end of 2019, we said, hey, we are an MSP. How many MSPs do we know? Do they need it? Do they have the same frustration? Do they feel the same frustration that we felt? So we decided to present the product at an event here in Italy organized by one of the main distributors for the MSP um, community. And we had this wave of appreciation and this great response from our trusted colleagues that said, we needed this. Where was this product? Because we needed this. It's not another tool that you need to set up. It's not something that you need to invest days and hours to have up and running. It's a simple, easy to use, immediate layer that you put on top of the tools that you already have. And it shares a light on the alerts that were already happening. It just puts them up and it helps you um, seeing what's important for you to see. And it basically, it's a tool that uses the same idea that we try to share with clients when it comes to the MSP mindset. Automate. Automate 
atomate, atomate. We, we want to have that um, approach when it comes to the work that we do with the clients. I think that we should first apply that concept within our companies to work better, to work smarter, to work faster. And, and that, at the end of the day, is also um, something that you could use to sell your services to clients uh, because you can prove them that you are doing inside of your company what you are preaching to for them to apply. So since the end of 2019, the product was available in Italy. Uh, and since uh, the beginning of this year, 2021, it's available to everybody in the world. Uh, we work with uh, lots of vendors. We are um, an all-week official integration, a data official integration. And we had this um, soft launch because of the pandemic. We couldn't participate in any event. We couldn't go to all the conferences that we want to attend to show the product. But the working hand-in-hand hand with the vendors helped us get out there and uh, promote the product outside of our country uh, as well. So we hope to go back to the normal uh, sales strategy soon. But right now we are enjoying this moment of um, development either way. Makes sense. And sounds like a wonderful product as well. Most of the best products that I've seen in our industry have been born out of people running an MSP and having a need. They've highlighted the need. You know, historically, I've spoken to Chris Day, who founded IT Glue. So many other people we've had on the podcast who have built MSPs, seen a need within the business, built a tool that has then gone on to become wildly successful. So I, I wish the very best for, for Global Dash there. And Thank we'll you. make sure to include in the show notes of the show links to all of Vera's uh, contact details, as well as Global Dash T Consulting and uh, everything else as well. I mentioned earlier on that you've delivered a TEDx talk entitled uh, Tears Over Margaritas. Uh, I watched that when we first met uh, a while ago and was blown away by it. I'd encourage anyone else who's listening uh, to this to check it out as well. It's very, very powerful. How did that TEDx talk come together? Well, first, thank you for the question, because that TEDx was one of the highlights of the last few years for me. It was something that I always dreamed of. And the fact that I could participate at a TEDx conference with a story that I felt so strongly about for me was uh, really um, a highlight. Um, a little backstory. I decided a few years ago to set up a side business for myself in, uh, in the United States, uh, something that was completely unrelated to information technology. It, it was something really outside of my usual, my, my traditional uh, experience. And that business had a very short life, uh, no matter the effort, no matter uh, the time and, and the, the, the money and the energy that I put into it, it didn't go well. So after one year, I had to close that business. Um, and the following year, I had to manage the afterwave of realizing that my dream was over, that my company 
had to be closed, that it didn't work. It wasn't easy. It was the opposite of easy. It was something that really um, had an impact uh, on, on myself, on my family, on, on all the aspects of my life. So in 2018, I randomly met during a trip to New York uh, a woman. She was the, the host of the Airbnb that I was staying in. And she witnessed one of the hardest days in, in my life in that specific moment. Um, and while we were drinking a margarita and having a very powerful conversation, um, she told me something that I didn't realize in that moment how profound it was and what kind of impact it was going to have on my life. She said, you're going through something bad. It's something that is hard, but you're going to get through it. And you're going to use this story. You're going to use your bad experience as a message that you can share with other women because it's just something that didn't work. It's not you. It's the project that failed. Failure is something that can either be um, a learning experience or it can be a scar that doesn't heal. It depends on how we talk about it and it depends on if we talk about it. That said, my trip was over. I came back home and I started writing about this encounter and this amazing friend that I had now in New York that was so, um, had such an impact on my life. And at some point, the social media gods were uh, working in my benefit, and they showed me an advertising for a TEDx call for speaker. The TEDx was hosted by one of the biggest Ivy League colleges here in Italy, the Lewis University. And everything clicked because the call for speaker was for English-speaking speakers. Check. It was... Uh, about sharing an experience that allowed you to change the perspective on something. And for the first time in my professional life, I didn't overthink that. And I immediately applied for the call for speaker. Uh, I was supposed to send a small uh, abstract of my speech in a video uh, I recorded it, I sent it over, it didn't go through once, it didn't go through twice, and I insisted and insisted, but it, the video couldn't go through the platform that was set up. So I called them after the deadline and said, please, give me give me another way to, to share my, my candidacy because I, I need you to see it. They were very kind, they allowed me to send the video in a different way. 30 minutes later, they called me back and said, you're going to be on the finals. You're going to go in Milan in one week, and you're going to be one of the finalists. So I did. I went to Milan. I did my speech in front of a panel of uh, entrepreneurs and uh, startup advisors. I won. And I went to Rome, and give, I gave my speech on that stage, such a powerful stage being on a TEDx. But the most important thing was the after the the moment after I delivered the speech because I I thought I was doing it for myself I thought I was fulfilling a dream of mine but when this young woman came to me after and said thank you for speaking publicly on failure it was 
so powerful. Thank you for taking the, the stigma, even for just 12 minutes. You, you took the shame out of failing. I realized that that was my, what my friend was saying. She was saying, talk to people about the experience that you had, because at some point, if you are a business person, you're going to fail at something. A product, a negotiation with a client, a new company, a startup, this is going to happen. So if you keep everything within yourself because you feel shame of that, as I said, if you go under the rock of shame, um, everything is going to be worse. And you're not going to climb out of it. But the more you speak about it, the more you realize you're not alone. There are so many people going through the same thing, and that not being alone is what gives you the strength to, to think about the next idea, create the next project, uh, call the next client. And that was the, the main, um, the main uh, realization of what my experience was for me. It was a tool that I could use. It was not, not just something that happened to me, but it was a story that I could share to help others as well. It's an incredible story. And again, such an inspiring presentation. I would encourage everybody uh, to go and check it out. Uh, do a, a YouTube search for Tears Over Margaritas. You will find it. We'll include the links to the video in the show notes. Do you still stay in touch with the lady that you spoke to from the Airbnb in New York? Yes, of course. Uh, I talked to her during the pandemic. She moved since then to another state in the U.S. She, she changed her life. She changed her business. Um, she was a, a pharmaceutical rep, and now she um, has this amazing business of creating homemade soaps uh, in the nature in Arizona. She, she's just an amazing person, but the biggest uh, quality, the, 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 the most powerful quality that she has is that she makes everybody feel seen and welcomed and, and okay. She's like that for herself, and she wants to be sure that every person that she meets feels the same way. She feels okay with what, what is happening. And we haven't spoken recently, but, you know, the, the last 80 months have been so crazy for everybody um, to, to go with, on with their lives. But, yes, we are in touch. That is wonderful. And do me a favor. What, what, what was the lady's name? Uh, her name was Nkata. Nkata. So get, get in touch with Nkata and say from us, thank you very much for encouraging Vera to share her story because it's a wonderful TEDx talk and we're, we're so grateful you. Uh, you shared that with us. I want to change tact a, a little bit here, change direction. I want to talk about cybersecurity, mm -hmm. something that you are very, very uh, aware of, very experienced with. And it's something that's jumped to the top of most managed service providers' agendas um, over the past couple of years or so. Now, you've acted as an advisor to one of the world's top cybersecurity firms in the past. In your opinion, today, in 2021, what should IT businesses be doing to keep their clients safe? I think that we should never stop educating them and we should start including the educational part in our business without 
considering it something that is below us or something that we're wasting our time on or something that clients are not understanding right away. Um, the educational part, I think it's crucial nowadays because threats are changing at a daily uh, pace. What we're facing now is different than what we were facing a couple of years ago. Uh, there are more uh, pervasive, they're, they are more, um, you know, subtle in the way that threats show up on an user uh, desktop on or in their computers. And we know about it. We as tech people, as tech companies, we know what's going on and we are aware of the magnitude of the problems. Let's not forget that our clients are not technical people. If they were, they wouldn't ask us for help. Yes. <laughs> so our main job needs to be keep them in the loop, but talking to them with their language. Remembering that they're talking about a different business. They don't do IT. That's our job and our responsibility. And we have the also responsibility and we have the we we have this huge weight on our shoulders i understand that but we are the ones that can help translate the threat into uh, a consequence for their business uh, cybersecurity speaks a different language IT speaks a different language, but IT right now is more familiar for our clients because they've been working with us, IT consultant, MSPs, for 15, 20 years, maybe even more than that. But cybersecurity is just a side of information technology that now has become so wide and so dangerous, but it has a whole different dictionary for it. So we should help our clients understanding it because I believe that when people don't understand something, they build a wall because they feel left out. So not everybody has the same mindset of, I don't understand something, I'm going to get information about that thing. Lots of people have the opposite mindset. I don't know something, I don't want to know about it, it doesn't concern me, it doesn't involve me. Uh, that's the kind of wall that we have helped them taking down because that's the biggest threat for them is being not aware of what's up there. So I think this is our main goal. Education, absolutely number one. I, I spoke with uh, Jennifer Bleen. Uh, who is a top yeah. uh, cybersecurity um, and she helps MSPs with sales. And she essentially said very much along the same lines as you, that if the client doesn't understand the risk, we are not doing our jobs well enough as an MSP. We exactly. need to help them inst understand in terms that they understand the risk to them and why they should uh, take action on it. So I uh, absolutely agree with you, Vera. Thanks for, for sharing that. So we um, mentioned the one thing that MSPs, Sorry, Vera, you were going to go ahead and say something. Oh, no, no, I just want to add a little something that Please, I yeah. experienced uh, myself and, uh, and I think that lots of people uh, are experiencing right now that 
the educational part of our job isn't just marketing related. Yes. It can happen that you spend uh, time, money, and energy into creating a series of videos or you create um, documentation for your clients and nothing comes out of it in terms of immediate return. We shouldn't use the marketing mindset to provide that education to our clients. In marketing, you know better than anyone else that everything has to be um, monitored to say what's working, what's not working, what kind of return you have on the investment. Education on cybersecurity should go beyond that kind of mindset. You should do it for the sake of your clients, even though nothing comes out immediately uh, from it. It can happen that clients need more time to um, react to the information that you're sharing. Don't get discouraged and keep doing it, even though you're not making um, a, a, a sales out of that activity. That makes absolute sense. I'm so glad you shared that with me because many MSPs, I guess, only see cybersecurity as a marketing activity. Hmm. When the reality is we all get into this industry because we want to help people. I think that's true. Uh, or the majority of people get in because they want to uh, help people. By helping people, by educating people, it may not generate an immediate return but it does generate trust. It does let people know who we are. It raises our yeah. uh, authority. Such a powerful point you made there, Vera. Thank you. Yeah. Of course. We talked about education as being something that MSPs should do. What's the one thing that you see MSPs doing in regards to cybersecurity that they wish that they wouldn't do? What's one thing that MSPs should stop doing with cybersecurity? I think... Uh, that we should stop selling technology. We have to start selling solutions to clients. When in our life as an MSP, we attend a conference, we uh, listen to a webinar, to a podcast, and we um, become aware of a new tool, our focus shouldn't be selling the tool to the clients. Our job is to absorb that tool, integrate it into our solutions, and provide the best care for the client, regardless of the technology. If we invest our time and energy into explaining the technology to the client, we are not going to get a lot out of it. It's a longer process. Sometimes it's a dead end because the clients don't want to hear about a new product, they, they, and sometimes they're also um, aggravated against another tool because just you another just, tool. Yeah. just another tool, and you just sold me something a year ago. Why should I, wasn't that good enough? So, why should I believe you that today you have the perfect tool for me if you said the same thing a year ago? Again, as an MSP, you know that maybe what you had. Uh, on your hands one year ago was the best thing available, but now there's something that is even better. But if you want to convince the client based on the technology, you're going to eight times out of 10 fail communicating that. If you focus on creating an offer that you can sell as a service, which is the main goal of the MSP, yeah. 
you won't waste your time selling technology. And I speak to MSPs and I read what they write and I interact with them. And there are too many MSPs or people that are aspiring to be an MSP, but they're not one yet, that keep talking about technology. And I understand that most of MSPs were founded or created by a tech person. That we have a tech soul, and that's what makes us the best at doing our jobs, and that's why we were saving clients during the pandemic. We were, as somebody said, the first responders of IT because we were on the first line of response when the pandemic hit, but our job is to make the client feel safe with an offer that talks about a solution for the business. It doesn't talk about the technology behind it. That's our problem. You shouldn't be on the client's shoulders. So let's stop talking about technology with the clients. Let's talk about technology in our geek circles, in our uh, group peers, uh, peer groups, and let's geek out about a new product with the people that can understand that. The clients doesn't need to hear that. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And something you said there about us having a tech soul. I've never heard that before. I love that expression. I've definitely got a tech soul. And sometimes I have to fight against that, uh, fight against the geeky uh, talk to talk in natural terms that other people understand. One thing I would say about um, the cybersecurity products that are out there, the vendors behind these products actually need to hear this advice as well, because so often... Uh, the vendors talk in technical terms as opposed mm-hmm. in, in the terms of so they talk in terms of features rather than benefits as well. So I know we have a lot of vendors listening to this podcast. So, again, listen to what Vera has just said there, because it is very, very wise advice. I want to move forward. We've talked to we touched upon tools a little bit. There are a lot of cybersecurity products arriving on the market now from a, a variety of different vendors. Um, without getting too techy and geeky on this, I, I'm only interested here in products that you see making a real difference to your uh, clients at, at T Consulting. Um, which tools are you seeing come on the market that you are excited about? And which tools would you uh, suggest that people avoid? In general, I think that the products that we get more excited about are the ones that can be easily integrated. Again, we have as MSB um, an offer. If I can find a tool that I can easily put in my offer, whether it is taking the place of another tool or adding uh, a new layer of security or efficiency, that's the tool that I'm going for. I personally, uh, and when I say personally, I mean for my company, I stay away from vendors that are self-proclaimed um, one tool for everything. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the vendor that says that with their tool, you don't need anything else because that's impossible. And we should all stay away from that because... <laughs> Especially in cybersecurity, there's no, not one size fits all, but not, there's no one solution for every problem out there. And I understand that for an MSP is 
harder to understand, maybe not understand, but accept the idea that we are never done. We are constantly evolving and integrating more products. Let's face it, this is our life right now. And with everything that happened during the summer, we know that this is not a job that we can rest uh, frequently uh, doing, or this is not an easy job. Uh, we are working in one of the most challenging industry, I think, at the moment. But we have to accept the fact that we always have to find new ways to make our services um, the top for the clients. So I would stay away from vendors that use that kind, this sort of leverage. If you choose me, you're not going to need anything else because that's simply not true. And I would look for products that I can um, easily integrate in my offer because they don't require uh, a huge amount of work, a huge amount of hours to expand my offer to the clients. And I, what you said before about uh, vendors speaking the tech language, I think this is true, especially for those vendors who are just recently developing the MSP channel. Because when a vendor speaks to both the IT consultant and the end user, they, I think they are required to be detailed about the technology behind it. Now, more and more vendors are creating this side channel for the MSP industry, but that's when they need to shift the language and the wording into the benefit for the final user, which is not the MSP, but it's the MSP client. And, and I think there are lots of vendors out there who are doing an amazing job at creating marketing materials, webinars, um, sales support, uh, because they understand the value of changing the approach to the MSP. Like, we are going to help you help your client. Yeah, that absolutely, absolutely makes sense. And again, Vera, you have shared so much gold already. In oh my gosh. So thank you. Appreciate it. Can I, can we talk about something that I know you are very, very passionate about? You are a massive uh, champion of inclusivity, of gender equality. Yeah. This season on Tub Talk, we are speaking to amazing women in tech like yourself. Uh, and one of the questions that I'm asking everybody is, how have you found it to be a woman entrepreneur in let's be really blunt about this. This is a male dominated industry. Mm -hmm. What have you found it like to be a woman entrepreneur in this IT industry? As I said before, the first years of my career, I thought that I wasn't enough to be in this position. So I behave accordingly to this limiting belief, but that was mine. It was my issue. It was not the world's issue. The more I started attending MSP events or meeting other MSPs or being out there and connecting to other companies like ours, I realized that <clears throat> I don't think that I can speak for the IT industry, but I can speak for the MSP industry. This is one of the most open, inclusive 
uh, ready for the next chapter of society industry in the world. The MSP industry, I think it's different from any other industry out there. Uh, and we can see it with the level, of, the number of networking events, peer groups, um, events where MSPs share with other MSPs their knowledge and, and their take on something. It's really difficult to find um, a, a vibe of competition in between MSPs. There's this idea of working together. And I think that the fact that I never experienced any sort of uh, retribution for me being a woman comes from the fact that MSPs are people that want to see technology, do technology, and they're so focused on that that they don't care whether they work with women or men. It's not an issue. We do have an issue of to a number that is too little of women being in this field, but I've never received any side look or snarky comment about me being in the room when I was working with other MSPs or I was interacting with them never in 14 years of uh, my professional career. That being said, I think the issue is we don't have enough women <laughs> participating yeah. in, in this industry, but once we open the door to them, I'm sure they're going to find a very welcoming community and something that is not that common out there. Agreed. And, uh, you know, we've spoke about this many times in this podcast, but the MSP industry, the space that you and I are in and everybody listening to this is such a unique space for wanting to help one another, yes. uh, peer groups, community groups, podcasts, all of these things, people sharing so openly, so honestly of uh, their time and experience with others. I've experienced it again and again. That's why I love the managed service provider industry. However, We've said we don't have enough women in IT at the moment. What can we do, Vera, to attract more girls, more women into careers in managed services? Um, I think that we could do two things. When we are we, when we are speaking about attracting more women in the in, in the industry, uh, we're talking about people that already made a career choice for themselves. So. Most probably they won't have a technological background because that's the majority of the cases for women out there. If that's the case, we should let them know that MSP doesn't just equal being a system engineer. There are so many figures that we need, so many different roles that we need within our organization that there's room for anybody who's smart, open, flexible, quick learner, wanting to get out there and promoting all the things that we talked about before with the client. So there's room for everybody who has that set of soft skills. Doesn't care if you're not a tech person. If you are a tech person and you are a woman in this field, that's the best case scenario. And we should more actively approach women in our recruiting um sessions because there are lots of uh, amazing uh, female system engineers in the world. So let's be active about the recruitment process. But there's, I think, 
the biggest task that we should address and the, maybe the biggest challenge is talking to girls before they make a career choice. So this means going back to schools because like it or not, women tend to exclude the STEM subjects from their choice, even for college. So the choice is made in high school, sometimes in middle school. We as MSPs, I think, should work with our school districts, uh, with our um, even universities right now are doing seminars for high schoolers because even universities know that the fact that there are not many uh, attendants in the college class is because girls make a different choice when they are in high school. So we should go back to school and we should create um, labs, seminars, any sort of event that helps girls getting more familiar with technology. But I want to I, I want to underline something that I really think is the key point. We should actively look to engage girls, but we shouldn't left boys out. Yeah, yeah. Because our goal as a society is to be more inclusive, more diverse. So we have to teach younger kids that there's no gap in between what girls can do and what boys can do. We have to put the effort into educating, again, the younger generation so that in 20 years, we are going to have a diverse company, a diverse board room, because the younger generation grew up without focusing on the differences and without expanding that gap. Right now, for the adults, it's a different issue. But I, I think that no matter, it's super important that we have women in technology roundtables and side panels at conferences. It's something that 10 years ago was not even there. So huge thank you and huge praise to those organizers that are putting their efforts into creating that side conversation. My dream is that in 10 years, maybe 20, it's more realistic, we're not going to have a side panel for women. We're going to be so normal that there won't be any need to have a specific roundtable because we're not going to be women in tech. We're going to be people in tech, like everybody else. But when we address this issue with adults, again, I think it's important to involve men in the conversation. Like it or not, if the majority of the companies are owned by men, it's them that we have to engage and say, be more open-minded, be less biased against women, um, actively include uh, younger system engineers in your team, uh, help your male team uh, supporting younger women into doing their jobs. I think it's, um, it's an effort that we have to share. Otherwise, we're, go we're always going to be a side chat instead of part of the main conversation.
Yeah, could not agree more. And for for MSPs, I always say that the customers that we serve, the clients that we serve, small, typically small businesses and organizations, these are not male-dominated uh, customers. They are typically a 50-50 split, men and women. So when it comes to our service desk and system engineers, I find it a little bit perplexing that it is nearly exclusively men. You know, there are lots of good system engineers, female system engineers there. But really, from a business perspective, we should be representing our clients in in the way that we support them. So exactly. that alone, I think, makes makes good business sense. But everything you've said points to education. And, you know, big yeah. shout out for, for CompTIA and other organizations who have done a great job. CompTIA with their advancing women in IT, they're really bringing this conversation to the fore. And I, indeed, I hope that this podcast uh, helps raise the awareness of that as well. Absolutely. I When I see the lineup of speakers at events, I always think, why? They're just one woman or sometimes why there's not even a woman in the panel so when you listen to a podcast like yours having more women showing up i think it's amazing what you're doing and i'm sure it's going to help either women feeling more seen and more heard and more included in the conversation but also it's going to normalize their presence for men because i have a great positive experience but i'm i'm aware that a lot, lots of women didn't have such experiences in their lives and they struggled with, they struggled with, um, men opposition in their advancement of the career. So, um, I think that every way that we can normalize the diversity in our companies, it's something that will help us reach that, uh, smaller gap goal in our society, but it's an active change that we have to promote. It starts with the small things. Um, I just want to make a quick example. I have an office manager who's a young woman that uh, we hired right out of high school and next year is going to be 10 years that she's with us. Until two years ago, since she's the office manager, she was the person that people asked coffee with when they had a meeting. Two years ago, I said, no more. Don't, don't, don't ask. I know that she's the office manager, but she's the office manager. She's not the person who's supposed to make coffee for anyone. So now the rule within the company is that the one who's hosting the meeting, he's the one who's making coffee for the guest. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter if it's the COO, the CEO, or the CTO. There's no one that should be asked to make coffee because you are in a higher position of the organization uh, board, everybody makes their own coffee. But it wasn't that easy to share this idea because it's something that is so rooted in our mindset that you actively have to take that idea out. And, and it's a long process, but I think that we're um, all I'm getting there. I love that. I love that approach, Vera. That's another absolute gold nugget, I think, that many people can take away from that. Such a small change, but it sends a signal, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, about how we perceive things. Uh, I want to ask as well, you know, I consider you to be a mentor to so many people out there. You may not know it, Vera, but you've, you've inspired and mentored lots of people virtually. Thank you. I know that like me, you value learning from mentors yourself. Absolutely. Would you be able to put your finger on anything specific that you've learned from a mentor that has really served you well over your career in tech? I 
think what you said about not being aware of being a mentor is exactly what I feel towards my mentors. I don't think they're aware that they are such for me. Um, but there's one person that I consider one of, one of my biggest examples. Um, and the thing that he shared with me was never pull back from a chance to speak. Uh, there's no room that you shouldn't uh, be a part of. Show up, sit at the table. And he helped me first get into the advisory board that you mentioned before. Um, but he told me that he really believes that the more diverse an environment is, the better the environment is, the more efficient it is, the more innovative it is. And he really helped me getting rid of that voice in the back of my head of not a tech person. I don't have an opinion on that. That's not true. As a business person, you always have opinion on things. And I have opinion on a lot of things. And, and sometimes you can have opinion on technology even when you don't use it. I don't know how to virtualize a server even though, fun fact, this is what my husband told me on our first date. We talked about virtualization, so I should have he is, a, he is clearly a smooth devil. <laughs> <Still the same. laughs> so, so, so people listening, speak to your first date about virtualization, and you're going to have a business partner for life. But <laughs> jokes aside, um, this mentor of mine, he really helped me taking out the idea that I had that I didn't belong where decisions were we made or where the conversation was happening. So a mentor is anyone who's willing to share an experience with you, uh, to share an idea with you, and maybe somebody that is available every once in a while just to catch up. And this is exactly the kind of relationship that we have. But this is, I think, one of the most powerful thing that anybody ever told me is go, show up, speak up, raise your hand, and just be yourself because that's enough to have a role in any organization that you're going to be in. Yeah, I love that advice. Vera, I've got to say, from a purely selfish perspective, I want to have you on the podcast every few weeks because I'm feeling <laughs> so energized and inspired by what you're saying. I think it's like a shot of energy and I'm pretty sure that I'm not alone in, in feeling that way. But I want to uh, finish up our conversation by asking you a question on that subject of energy. We've all had a really tough time during the lockdown. You and I were talking about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it has mm -hmm. affected us just before we came on our, uh, on air. How are you manage, managing your own mental health during this tough time? And importantly, how are you helping your employees to look after themselves as well? Uh, you're right. It was a hard time. As we were speaking before, um, during the first lockdown, we had a certainty in our lives, which was you cannot leave the house. But uh, we had the uncertainty of, how the world is going to be after? Are we facing another uh, crisis like we did in 2008? Um, where the world, the world is going to go after the pandemic? So we had part of certainty and a part of uncertainty. Uh, for me, my mental health was 
not an issue until the fall of 2020. I think that I was able to manage uh, better the first month. Um, but with the fall, I think it was the expectation of the pandemic to be over that really um, took me back. And I realized that it was not over, not even close. So I, it was that for me that really challenged my mental health. Uh, and I started going back to my roots. I started writing again. I started um, thinking about how could I express my feelings in a more uh, healthy way. And for me, that is writing and that is reaching out to people and, and talking and not being um, too worried about um, interrupting somebody or disturbing somebody. It, yeah. I, I think that one of the good aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic is that people are more open to support each other, even just with a quick chat, with a quick call. Uh, when it comes to my employees, last year in the fall, we asked them, what is that you want? Do you want to work from home? Do you want to come back to the office? So we tried and listened to every need and to give each person what they needed from us. There's somebody who said, I want to come back to the office. I can't stay at home anymore. Please don't let me stay at home anymore. Okay, this is your death. Come back to the office. Somebody who said, I want to do both. I want to have some days at home and some days at the office. So we only made a mandatory request to be present for one meeting a week. We have an important meeting every Monday afternoon um, for the delivery process and to be sure that we are on track with other projects. So that meeting, we wanted to be in person, but we were able to do that because we live in a small town. So we have no commuting issues. People are not going to be stuck in traffic, going back and forth between the company and the, their homes. So we, we try to make the best out of something that was always a limit for us, not, not being in a bigger city, in a big um, metro area. Now, with the COVID pandemic, being in a small town is actually um, a quality. It is actually a strength for a business because people are more flexible. And now we have... Um, organize the remote working and in-person working working in a very free way. People can stay home up to three days a week whenever they decide that they want to be home. So it's up to them. The only mandatory thing is that meeting on Monday afternoon, aside from that, is their responsibility to manage that. And I think that really helped them uh, creating a more personalized approach to work because again we're lucky we have this huge advantage compared to other industries we can do our job wherever yeah the, the client is not affected by one technician's being home and one technician being home and another one being at the office it, it doesn't really matter for the client but i think it matters for the work culture for our company to be present every once in a while to be together. We have a young um, team. They're they're so um, connected to each other. They they hang out on weekends. They do their things and they're they're friends. So I think it's important for us to facilitate 
the, the, the coming back to the office process, but without forgetting that some of them were feeling good being at home. So we, yeah. we want them to um, uh, protect that sort of feeling. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. I don't think there's one size fits all at the moment. Some people are yeah. going to want desperate to come back to the office. Other people are going to say, you know what, now that I've had a break from the commuting and I'm happy as I am, I think the, the reality probably sits somewhere in the middle. So I love your approach. And, and also people with kids right now have different needs than people who don't have kids. Yeah. And it's not to make differences in between the way that we approach our employees, but it's just the reality, as we were talking about before, when you have kids who are in school, in Italy, that's the case, so I'm just speaking for my country, um, if there are issues with the classroom where your kids are, a parent is required to stay home because they have to be with the kids, or maybe they're even in quarantine because somebody in the class has been tested positive. So I have to guarantee my people the freedom and the serenity of leaving the office and going home without having a strong procedure, bureaucratic procedure to yes. ask to work from home. It has to be fast. It has to be, um, it has to be free. I, I want the, one of my main goals in life is for people to come to work happy. I want them to be uh, sure that no matter what's going on in the world, the office is a safe space. We try to promote a culture of dialogue, a culture of failing. There's, there are lots of error that we can make, but we have to learn from them. So don't be ashamed if you made a mistake, just talk about it. But mostly we try to really create this environment where, um, there's no yelling. There's no, uh, seniority, um, there's, there are, there are not dynamics that can really impact on the well-being of the person. So we try to also translate that into the approach to remote working. Do what you feel better doing because the main goal is that you feel good doing your job because that's what, that way you're going to do a better job and we win. Everybody wins. Vera, I'm going to guess there's uh, some people listening to this and, and saying, I wish Vera was my boss <laughs> because it's so refreshing, <laughs> refreshing to hear your approach towards it. And in regards to happiness, you've made me incredibly happy with our conversation today. I have found it so inspiring, so energizing. I think you are an amazing uh, lady. And I hope that the rest of the MSP industry now uh, listens to some of your advice and takes it on board uh, and moves forward to this because you have given us so many valuable tips, so many valuable ideas during our conversation today. I know how busy you are. So uh, a public thanks for taking time out of your day to have the conversation with me today, Vera. I really enjoyed it. I, it was amazing, Richard. Thank you again for having me, for giving me the, the, the time and the space to share this. I don't know if that helped anyone, but I think that even the fact that we are talking about how we approach life and work, no matter how our uh, path of life, it's always helpful. I love listening to your guests and the fact that now I can be one um, is something that I'm very grateful for. And I'm, I'm very happy that I, I could be part of this. Oh, the pleasure has been all it has, Vera. For anybody who wants to continue the conversation with you, how can they best find you online? I think the best way is LinkedIn. 
Uh-huh. Uh, you can just uh, go LinkedIn and you can look for me. It's uh, B-E-R-A. And my last name is Tucci, T-U-C-C-I. And you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm working on my own website slash blog space. It's still in, in the making. But if people want to connect on LinkedIn, they're going to be aware of um, when the the website is going to be on because the writing for me has been therapeutic and I can't wait to share the things that I write with the people that have the same um, experience that I have in the MSP industry, in the business industry. Uh, But so far, LinkedIn is always the best way. Wonderful. Well, we'll include all of your contact details in the show notes for any listeners to get hold of. And listeners, to show you just how polite Vera is, if you've just picked up, I mispronounce Vera's surname every single time <laughs> I speak to her. And every time I say Tuki rather than Tucci. And it's so okay. I need, I need to do some Italian lessons here to get my Tucci uh, better. So don't, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, I worked in the States for, for a little while. So I'm used to a different approach to my name and last name. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, <laughs> It's, it's just a pronunciation, so it's perfect. I cannot pronounce your town. I always uh, try to get better with the pronunciation of the town that you're in. When you, when you present yourself and you said, I'm speaking you from... And, and you Newcastle upon time? Yes, it's so hard for me to say. <laughs> so, I, I don't want to try, but it's hard for me. I understand how hard Italian can be, so... It's okay. You are. uh, You're so generous. Thank you, Vera. Thanks for your time today. That concludes our episode today. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We will look forward to speaking to you on the next episode. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks, governments are now classifying them as terrorism. You've seen the news. Oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. It's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. So what are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next statistic? Barracuda MSP is here to help ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attack. One, attacks start with an innocent looking email that tricks users into revealing usernames and passwords. Barracuda MSP can train your clients on your behalf to recognize an attack and enable you to deploy anti-phishing technology. Two, secure clients' web applications. File sharing services, web forms and e-commerce sites often have weak points hackers are looking for. If hackers get into these applications, they go after business data. Protect access to these applications so hackers can't get onto your client's network. Three, backup is a must. Today's solutions make it simple and fast to protect archives and backup or restore an up-to-date copy of an entire server or an individual file. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plans. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP.
Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my dark of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.